Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Hi and welcome to Radiotherapy. And as always, we are filled to the brim with interesting guests on the show this morning who are Zooming to you live from studios and studies and bedrooms across Melbourne. It's Mental Health Month coming up in a few days' time, so we thought we'd get the discussion rolling. So first up, we'll be chatting with Francesca Gonzalez. You may know this young performer from her gigs at uh, pubs and festivals singing with the band Cousin Tony's Brand New Firebird, and also singing in her own right as Francesca Gonzalez. Who else? Francesca is keen on encouraging young people to get psychological help if they need it, and on breaking the stigma that may come with doing that. In fact, she's got her own podcast on the topic, and we'll be getting her to talk about that too. Next, we'll be joined by Dr. Katie Burke, who is a consultant psychiatrist working in a large public hospital. Every day, Katie treats people with uh, psychosis and mood disorders, amongst uh, others, and so she knows full well the major impact that mental illness can have on one's life. In 2019, Katie started the not-for-profit Soul Socks to help celebrate the life of her late brother Andy, and she'll be talking with us about that initiative and a whole lot more. And joining us from the Butterfly Foundation is their marketing manager, Belinda Kerslake. Now, the Butterfly Foundation is a national organisation that educates, supports and provides resources for people with eating disorders and body image issues, as well as family, friends and the community. With the pandemic, the rate of eating disorders has jumped significantly, so it's timely that we're speaking to Belinda, who will be joining us with TJ, a person with lived experience of anorexia nervosa. Plus... Plus, 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 plus. The effervescent, ever-present nurse EpiPen, who I can see on my screen right in front of me. She's waving in case you can't see that, listeners. Uh, She will be joining us, as well as the ebullient, ever-brilliant Dr. G-Spot, who's also uh, there on our screen. Plus, a spot of medical news, all in the next hour of radiotherapy. Good morning, nurse EpiPen. Good morning. Ooh, I've got you nice and loud. I love it when technology works. Good morning. It is a beautiful morning too. Isn't it just? Dr. G-Spot, good morning to you too. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Mal. Now, um, Epi, as we were uh, talking in the green room this morning, some things have changed about uh, CPR and and heart attacks and how people actually get help when they're having uh, a heart attack or actually a cardiac arrest. Yeah, so you might have read in the paper yesterday, The Age, there was a headline that said, I couldn't let a mate die. Mm. Study shows hidden spike in cardiac deaths. So this is pretty scary, actually, because cardiac arrest survival rates have halved in Victoria during the first wave of the coronavirus epidemic. Really? That is because they've the call-out time from an, for an ambulance from a call to getting to a patient um, used to be eight minutes, now it's 10. And two minutes in a cardiac arrest situation is a lot of time. So um, we want to be clear about what's going on and also possibly thinking that we have a community responsibility to do something. Yeah. So if you do see somebody that's collapsed, they're unconscious, they're not breathing, grey, ashen colouring, don't worry about a pulse because you can spend time mucking around trying to find one. Just hop in and start doing some compressions on the chest. Compressions? So you put your hands together like on top of each other and then you find the mid-chest region and start compressing. And because of COVID, people are going to be nervous and you don't really necessarily have to do mouth-to-mouth anymore, but just get pumping. And you must press hard. Some people do, will you will fracture ribs, but it's a that's not, you, at least you're saving them. So we should, though, recommend that people go to a CPR course, don't just yeah, do it off our, off our 30 seconds instructions. Second. So, so when you want to think about this, um, 
as Dr. Mal has identified, we might not know how to press on the chest. So I Googled, where can we do some CPR courses? Yeah. So St. John's Ambulance does one, and there's really, really good ones. And there's also uh, the blood bank, and they all cost a tiny amount, and they're all doing them on Zooms. And in fact, oh, really? one course, they'll deliver a, a mannequin, so you can practice on actually pressing on the chest on someone. And the other thing is that, did you know, Dr. Mao, that if you are in a shopping centre, that there are, there are things called automated external defibrillators. AEDs. AEDs. Yep. And you can Google where is my nearest AED. So if you're starting to press on someone's chest and you think you know what you're doing, but you, need, you think that's not going anywhere, you can Google, somebody could Google where is your nearest defibrillator? You, it's so simple. You just open it up, put the pads on, and it will tell you what to do. Isn't that the thing Anything they've got on aeroplanes? They've got an AED on. Isn't that the same thing yep. on planes? Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Because my mum lives so, in a block of flats, and as you come in the car park entrance, there's a there's a big sign saying AED here. Yes. Damn. So have a look. When you're walking around the supermarkets, just look around and see where the, the nearest AED is. So I'd strongly recommend everybody does a course and everybody, if you get, feel that you could have a go, somebody else will be with you. you have be calling out for help. But there's just one small tidbit that I need to tell people that you might be resuscitating somebody and they might not survive. So mm. it is confronting to see a dead person. So in all your efforts, at least you've had a try and doing something is much better than just leaving somebody and calling out. Mm. Help and hoping somebody will come by. You know, you've reminded me of, uh, it was a couple of months ago, some mates and I were out at a restaurant uh, having lunch and uh, most of my mates are doctors and we're all there sitting at a table and a person at the table right next to us stands up and says, is there a doctor in the restaurant? Like, and my full table of doctors, we were all specialists apart from one guy who was a GP and he said, I'll do it. And he dashed off. You know, the rest of us were thinking, what do we do when somebody collapses? Oh, yeah, we were going through it in our minds. He knew what, you know, knew what to do right away. Hey, I've got something less, uh, a little bit more lighthearted. And I wonder if you've noticed this, uh, Dr. G-Spot and Nurse EpiPen. Have you noticed that when you go to a cafe nowadays and you order, that there are a number of orders that uh, are incorrect. Like somebody might order a blueberry muffin and they get a raspberry muffin. Or somebody might order a cafe latte almond but get a full milk cafe latte. And I'm very lighthearted, I know. I can see you frowning there, EpiPen. But I've noticed recently over the last couple of weeks that there's been all these misorders and everybody's been fine about it because of the masks and the perspex screens and you, there's no... Uh, uh, non-verbal communication. Like, I look like an armoured latte guy, yet sometimes I get a full milk latte. <laughs> I'm stereotyping myself, obviously. Have you noticed this phenomenon or is it just me? Do I have too much spare time? No, no too much spare time. <laughs> Dr G-Spot, tell me I'm not alone in this. Yes, I, I have noticed that too, Dr Mal. And I suppose we can, you know, we can work on managing your anxiety around your, your latte not being the right order. I think we can do that too. No, no, but what I've noticed actually is that shop owners are incredibly gracious about it. And they say, fine, we'll just change it over and we'll just, you know, keep the uh, the other thing. But I think, I mean, I guess it's, a, it's, it, it, it's kind of talks to a bigger point that there's so many communication styles and things that we would normally do verbal and non-verbal that wearing masks and behind perspex screens that we just don't do anymore i mean I, again simple thing uh there's a a, a checkout uh man at my local supermarket who you know we always chat and have a good time and he always tells me jokes and i laugh but now i can't hear him probably probably and i can't see when he's smiling so i'm just laughing the whole time to be to be nice and I'm not sure if I'm laughing at something which I shouldn't be laughing at and I reckon there are all these sort of social miscues happening because of all these extra barriers put in place and I wonder what's going to happen with that make a good play don't you think yeah definitely they're they're both they're both yeah I can see this is a podcast from Triple R an independent media organization in Melbourne Australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Francesca Gonzalez, welcome to our little radio show. Thank you for having me. 
we've actually played your music a couple of times, so I think listeners will recognise the voice. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about yourself. Um, so I'm Francesca. I'm a musician from Melbourne. I've always been here, probably always will. It's a great music city. Um, I've been touring with Cousin Tony's Brand New Firebird for the last few years um, nationally and internationally. And in the last 18 months, I've become very interested in mental health, especially in the music industry um, and with creatives. I think it's kind of riot with creatives and being isolated as musicians and struggling. And um, so I started kind of like a semi, it's, it was a kind of like a group therapy. So it was called Breakfast Club and we all got together and had great conversations with like-minded people and just noticed how much um, that kind of lifted everyone's spirits um, mm. and made people feel like they were all kind of doing it together and felt not so isolated. And there was just such great conversations that came out of these meetups that we ended up making a podcast about it, um, which is called Anonymous Musicians. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's just been amazing. I think I was thinking the other day that, creatives love talking about emotions and um, we're so good at it turning into something beautiful so it kind of makes sense that we there's a lot of us who kind of love um, mental health and really are going into it and looking towards that world you know I'm so envious of of songwriters and I can think of a couple right off the top of my head who can capture an emotion so beautifully in like two verses that, that no amount of 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 technical terms can address and you know particularly poor kelly you know he just colors you know emotions so beautifully doesn't he yeah we were listening to him yesterday i just had such a big moment of he's amazing yeah yeah Mm. so songwriters are um or musicians and performers i think in general have got a, a, a tap into emotion absolutely yeah yeah so tell us what sort of things are you doing with with your podcast and, and, and how you're trying to get musicians and performers to, to, to express the stuff they'd normally be expressing on stage? Well, I think a lot of it is to do with the music industry and how we all, there's all the different areas of the music industry and no one's really communicating. And it's such a like, such a turbo industry, like dog eat dog, everyone's trying to get, um, you know, higher up in the ranks and it creates this feeling and culture like no one wants to communicate between each other because we've all got secrets and, you know, who's going to who's gonna win, who's going to get that hit. Mm. Um, and I think I just, I just started to realise that that's just not the way to go. We need to, we need to communicate and we need to support each other. We don't, as musicians, we don't have a place of work to go to and um, have that community around us. So I just thought, like, we need that. And as soon as that started to happen, um, we started talking about the industry and where things needs to change, what things needs to change, um, especially a lot of people, I think, you know, obviously in um, back in the day it was very um, drug and alcohol-centric and we really, as musicians, don't really need that and want that anymore. So we've started to try and create safe spaces of non-alcohol and um, trying to do things like riders where at gigs we don't want alcohol or get um, alcohol in the green rooms, for example, with like, you know, healthy food and soda water and things like that. So I think basically we've started to realise that there's a template, there's a really old school template in the music industry Mm. that's really bad for musicians' mental health Mm, mm. and through the podcast and through meeting up with lots of people and I've, you know, started to kind of um, have lots of meetings within the music industry, we really want to break that template down Mm. and start to create a a new and better um, initiatives around better mental health in the music industry. It's really important. I love that idea of changing the classical writer. Yeah, because the writer was, you know, alcohol always. But um, yeah. I remember, I can't, was it a movie I saw somewhere where they, they said they've got to have blue Smarties? And that was the writer yeah. that they wanted <laughs> a thousand blue Smarties. So some poor guy had to like fish out a blue Smartie from every back and put it in their writer. I love that. I reckon you should do that for you next year. I want 400 Absolutely. blue Smarties. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I've noticed in the, in the, um, in the play world, in the stage world, is that there is this ins- incredible camaraderie um, amongst actors. Like when they're rehearsing, it's, it's, it is a safe space, isn't it? And I mm-hmm. guess if you're not doing that as musicians, um, that's a big part of your life that's just, just 
taken away from you. How do you replicate that? What do you do to replicate that? Well, I think we all have that within our bands yeah. um, and within our teams. Um, and But then when you kind of go out into festivals or you're playing gigs and stuff, there's just, there's some breakdowns in that in that coming together, in those teams coming together. Um, And I think that's what Breakfast Club was, was um, these group meetings where everyone came together and it wasn't networking. It was purely just to come and be ourselves and just meet each other as people rather than as our band name, Um, if that makes sense, because I think that creates a lot of, um, I guess, like that networky, like, you know, cool thing that's happening when we just want to be people. Mm, um, mm. So, uh, no Seppi Pen here. I was just wondering, how do you support um, some of your friends, musical friends that might be struggling? What What do you do? That's a good question. Um, I think I think what we've done is like really just talk talk through it and. Um, I think a lot of musicians struggle with feeling like they're doing everything alone and they don't have places if they don't, if they're not managed, for example, um, they feel like they're doing all of the, you know, now we have to do social media now we have to do marketing. We have to manage ourselves. We have to get book all the gigs. Like there's a lot of pressure that's put on musicians. And I think now we've started to realize that if we have communal spaces to go to, just to talk about how we're struggling and then someone else hears that they're going through a similar thing or someone else is going through a similar thing. The power of that is, is amazing. Um, So I think that's what we've worked out is that like the more and more we talk about our struggles as musicians, we'll find that a lot of other people are going through the same thing. um, And that really helps. Lovely to have you on the show, Francesca. I think this is such an important topic and I, I, I think your podcast sounds awesome. Um, I think you raised a really important point earlier that um, creative people, they don't tend to have a, a problem tapping into their emotions, which we know some some people do struggle with. So I suppose they're tapping into their emotions. Is it that they then they don't know what to do with them afterwards? Like what's, what's sort of happening there? Like they can access them, but then it's hard to process? I think... Um, I was more kind of going along the the idea of a lot of musicians are starting to go into mental health and starting to have psych or counselling as a second job because we have to, we have to face our emotions all the time and we end up turning them into something really beautiful. And I think to try and help people do that and see that I think it has become a huge um passion of mine because I see people really struggling with their emotions and I see people going through really hard times and people around them struggling to kind of help them see that they're going through a hard time and I think as someone who I have to face it all the time and I see what beauty can come from facing emotions and facing hardship and then I really want to help people um, and I think the musicians around me want to help people um, see the beauty in, you know, going to therapy or going or talking about their feelings with other people. Do you know, I was at an international psychiatry conference um, a couple of years ago with a very esteemed professor who occasionally comes onto this radio show. And he said, um, and we looked across the audience, there's probably about, I don't know, 800,000 psychiatrists sitting in the audience. And he said, what do you reckon would happen if just for one day, all these psychiatrists turned in, into musicians <laughs> and then back again. What do you reckon would happen? I thought that's a really interesting question because it does talk about how both professions try and tap into what it is that, that drives us in different ways. Um, but, but as, I mean, just talking to you now, I, I can see that. One of the things I do with medical students is I ask them, you know, what is therapy? And I get all this different stuff about therapies lying on a couch and a guy sitting behind you eating his lunch or, you know, therapy is this sort of aha moment. But it's not. It's talking. That's what therapy is. It's talking. And, and there's a thousand different ways you can talk. And talking amongst friends is obviously different to talking to a professional. But it's the talking, which the, the talking is the, is the central important part. And I think that's mm. what you're getting, getting at. Uh, Francesca. Absolutely. Yeah. And even having to like break things down, I'm sure that's what psychiatrists have to do as well. You have to break emotions down and look at it all different angles. Like as musicians, we also have to do that. Like there's an emotion in the room. How do you look at it from a wall or the roof or internally? Like, so I think um, 
yeah, they do really link up. I'd love to see that <laughs> that day. It's like the Hunger Games day, something wild. Hey, um, I, I've always wanted to ask a musician this. Why is talking about emotions, and you may not be able to tell me or might just say, mm-hmm. really? Um, why is D minor such a sad chord? Or, or, or... All the minor, all the minor chords are sad. That's how I teach my students. I'm like, if you can't figure out if it's a major or minor key, is it sad? Does it sound sad or does it sound happy? But D minor is a personal favourite key of mine. It's beautiful. Don't you reckon, though, that's, that's fascinating how a couple of, you know, frequencies can communicate an emotion? Or an a, is it A sharp or A something that's, that's quite bright that makes you feel quite happy? I mean, that alone just freaks me out. That just is amazing. No? Yeah, music is wild. It's very yeah. powerful. Similar thing happens with painting too. If um, I remember I was uh, going, uh, I looked at some Rothko's, you know, the, the, the 1940s, I think, uh, artist from the United States. And it's basically just a whole, just two colours, just huge panels, just two colours. And you look at it and you think, oh, I could do that, but you can't because there's, it's, as he's put the two colours together, you are filled with an emotion and that was his idea to say i want this this picture to communicate sadness or happiness or joy or frustration and there's nothing written there that says be frustrated it's just you're looking at colors and you're feeling frustrated or angry or sad and that's the power of the arts that you know that is beyond words and mm-hmm. so more power too so francesca the name of the podcast is anonymous musicians and how do people find it podcast catcher or it's on spotify and all of the podcast channels or platforms now you're going to hang around hopefully can you hang around for the next uh, little yes, while please. because that I'd would be terrific to. to have you on uh, the rest of the show i've also got to say a shout out to um a band because i promised them um and they're great uh the name of the band is in juno their new song is vendetta and you can catch it on spotify that's in juno good on your boys and the new song is uh, vendetta you're listening to a triple r podcast Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. On the line with us now, we're actually not on the line, it's really on the pewter, is uh, Dr. Katie Burke, who is muted. So I'm going to ask Katie to unmute herself. And there we go. Good morning, Katie. Hi, Dr. Mao. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, for sure. Hey, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Katie. Um, as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a psychiatrist. I work at a tertiary hospital um, and I've been qualified for a couple of years now. Um, so, you know, I, I think about and deal with mental health every day, but uh, I suppose the more recent, um, in the last couple of years, the, the thing that sort of Pretty, had a pretty defining impact on my life was that um, I lost my younger brother Andy to suicide mm. in uh, July 2017. Mm. So that's uh, obviously been an incredibly horrible and challenging and difficult uh, space that I've been trying to navigate. Mm. And um, and so you know much of that and one of the reasons why I've come on today is to also sort of share with you some of one of the initiatives that I've sort of been working on to try and um, I suppose make a bit of a change and and um, you know I I don't think you can go through a loss and a tragedy without it defining and and changing your life Mm. in a pretty profound way so uh, yeah, that, that's sort of been the, um, I suppose, the catalyst for where things have gone for me for the last two years. Mm. And so you, you started up uh, Soul Socks as a, as, a, as a tribute to Andy. There's a beautiful photo of, of you two. I've got to say, I've never met him, but it, it, you, he does have a beautiful character coming through in that photo with you on your website. And of course, we'll give the website details later in the, in the show. Tell us about what Soul Socks is all about, really. So... Soul Socks is uh, so basically it's a platform where I'm selling socks, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> um, and it's Soul S O U L, which is really thinking about you know the heart and the soul. Um, but it's it is a platform to be uh, firstly raising money. So 100% of the money raised from the socks goes directly to Movember, and Movember is obviously all about men's health, and and I'm particularly interested in the men's mental health component. Yeah. But 
you know, it's also about having an avenue to celebrate Andy's life. Andy loves socks. So, you know, I think this is something he would be incredibly chuffed with and, and would be, you know, pretty excited about. But, you know, I we sort of, mental health, uh, I think it's getting a lot of momentum and especially even in the last sort of six months in this pandemic, we are thinking about it more as a society and talking about it and sort of breaking down stigma. But it's still definitely an area that people struggle to talk about and struggle to know how to navigate and how to bring up those conversations. And if you have someone that you're worried about, how do you, you know, if you're not a mental health professional, where do you sort of start to to sort of check in and say, are you okay? How how are you going? And so my sort of, I suppose, vision with the socks is that they're kind of a bit of an icebreaker. Um, You know, we can sort of talk about and, and educate people on, on how to have those conversations, but I hope that by, you know, actually giving someone some socks or wearing the socks and, you know, they've got moustaches on them, which is sort of, you know, the the, the iconic kind of um, uh, shape, I suppose, for, for Movember, how they're, you know, the moustache. And so, you know, by giving someone some socks or actually saying, hey, look at the socks that I'm wearing today, these bright, fun-coloured socks, it's actually a bit of a, a talking point for actually more than just how are you going you know, how are you really going and and what is going on for you at the moment? And, you know, I've had people tell me that um, friends say, oh, someone else reached out to them to have a conversation about mental health and well-being because they were wearing socks yeah. and, and so they sort yeah. of felt that they would be approachable. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's funny. He loves socks. He's mm-hmm. the first. <laughs> I don't know anybody. I've I got a, a colleague I work with who loves ties um, strangely enough, he doesn't wear ties. But so, how, I mean, how do people? So you got the socks on. I guess you would have to cross your legs or wear shorts to show your socks. Is that what's happening? You can do that, or you can um, roll up your jeans and <laughs> show show them. They actually go really well with scrubs. Um, you know, so for healthcare workers that want um, a bit of colour and brightness in their yeah. in their outfit. Um, but yeah, it's just about about starting those conversations and 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 talking. Yeah. So obviously, if uh, you start that conversation and you're concerned that somebody needs to get professional help, where I mean, where would people generally start? Where would you suggest they start looking to get their friends help? I mean, I think there's a number of things that you can do, and. Um, I suppose there's, firstly, just in terms of if you're going to have that conversation, you know, there's um, a, the acronym ALEC is a good little one to kind of for people to think of. So what that's that ALEC? ALEC, A-L-E-C. Okay, I'm so going to write this down. Yep, you can write it down. Ask. Um, yeah. Ask, listen, encourage action, and then check in. And and I think that's just a good little reminder of, uh, of giving people a bit of a framework. But... Um, you know, encouraging people to see their GP, you know, everyone um, and having a really good GP is really important Um, and not just for when you get into crisis, having a good GP for when things are going really well, but then when when you are struggling, you'll feel more comfortable to go and talk to the GP to actually get some help and some support. Um, That's a really interesting... Sorry to interrupt. It's a really interesting point. We've had this discussion before and, um, you know, had uh, feedback from listeners too who say, yeah, you know... Not every GP is suited to every person. So yeah. you've really got to find um, a GP and try and find, maybe ask friends, family, other people, a GP that you can talk to because everybody's good at different things. So, yeah, having a GP yeah. that you can have a good relationship with is really important. And and I think then too if the GP actually knows you and knows you when things are going well, they're going to be a bit more um, aware of when things – when you're not presenting – quite as well as and and they'll sort of know that things might be a little bit off or you'll feel a bit more comfortable about opening up and sharing with them your current experience Mm. and the the listening thing in alec um that's that see i'm i'm smiling because it can be hard to listen and for some people i'm looking to myself here it can be hard to not just want to fix things and jump in listening is hard isn't it absolutely and and i think sometimes we don't have all the answers 
um, and and sitting with that uncertainty and that anxiety. And I think that's one of the things we've learned in the pandemic is we can't necessarily fix things, but sometimes, and that sort of comes back to I think what Francesca was saying before about having space to talk to people and and actually just sort of be able to um, share your experience can actually be incredibly uh, well. It's incredibly important. Uh, Francesca, you have uh, something to say. Um, yeah, I just also wanted to say that a lot of people don't know what therapy is. Um, I was, as you said before, Rob, I think they go like it's critical mass time or things like that. But something I've really learned that really helps is when I talk about my therapy experience yeah. and I say like even things like, oh, my counsellor helped me with my career, my music yeah. career, or helped me with motivation or productivity. And then my friends go, oh, do, do they help you with that? <laughs> I thought it was just like, um, you know, like a breakup or something like that. So I think it's really good to even like plant seeds of really positive experiences with therapy that I think has really helped with my friends who don't know what it is. Yeah, so, and EpiPen here. Um, Katie, sometimes you do hear stories that the GPs are a little bit trigger happy in prescribing some antidepressants, whereas... I think from my experience, I've had some anxiety issues, you know, workshopping with a psychiatrist and a psychologist down the track has been very helpful. And I do get a bit frightened when GPs, their first line of approach sometimes is to prescribe antidepressants, where uh, I think Francesca hasn't had that experience, but has worked through, do you want to reflect what you've worked through, Francesca? I think I was picking up. Oh, yeah, I just I've had a great um, experience with therapy and I never had the option of antidepressants. So the last like six years I've spent, you know, doing yoga and eating healthy and working with a lot of anxiety and working through that. Um, and I have had a lot of friends who've just been prescribed antidepressants straight away. So, um, yeah, I think like everyone needs to undertake a mental health journey um, for themselves and for the people around them. Um, yeah, I think I think um, the antidepressants thing is a huge topic of discussion. But, um, yeah, being aware to not um, be prescribed straight away. Mm. Katie, you were talking about... Uh... Uh, encouraging to action what does that what does that mean in Alec well it's it's about I suppose gently supporting someone to be like look things are tricky you know how are we going to go about helping navigate that and it might be checking in and seeing a GP and making an appointment or, you know, sort of coming up with a bit of a, an action plan so it might be actually by talking with your friend that actually they might really benefit from seeing a psychologist and, and they can kind of come to the realisation of talking it through with, you know, the two of you. So, you know, then, okay, well, they need to, what's the, the, the action? They need to go to the GP, get a mental health care plan and, and then go and see the psychologist. But, you know, I, I think um, we are coming a long way of breaking down this stigma around um, talking about things. But um, I love the fact that, you know, today even where we are continuing to talk about the importance and normalising the importance about, say, speaking about the problems. You know, it's, it's really interesting. And I know, Dr Mao, this is something you and I both agree on is um, the importance of physical health. And, um, and it sounds like, you know, Francesca, you've, uh, you know, mentioned that too. And, and we're incredibly proactive at going to the gym and running and doing all these things that looks after our, our physical health. And, yes, that's also very important for our mental health. But we're not always as proactive at thinking about ways to think about how to look after our mental health. You know, we don't want to be getting into a crisis before we're actually saying, actually, I need to see a psychologist and I need to speak with someone about this. And, and you know, coming back to what you were saying before is, is therapy is, is really a way of talking to people. Um, and, and so, you know, I see my psychologist, um, you know, initially it was, it was much more frequently after, um, after we lost Andy, I, I was seeing my psychologist weekly and, and that was incredibly important for me. Um, and now, you know, I, I see my psychologist probably once a month and, and that's really like me being proactive at thinking, well, I, I want to have a space to talk about what is going on for me in my life. Mm. And I think that actually by having these discussions and breaking it down and, and, and normalising these, these sort of ways of looking after our health and wellbeing is incredibly important 
Do you think also that um, we need to uh, model and perhaps also shape the idea that emotional conversations are, uh, are something that you can have with friends to start off with too, that, you know, sometimes you might pick up that a, that a mate, you know, something's up and you don't want to broach it because you feel like you're stepping on toes or you're, you're overextending into boundaries that they might not be comfortable with, that perhaps maybe we need to start thinking, yeah, maybe we should be doing that with, 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 with mates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, look, Rob, I know you're the only man in the room, so you, you're probably <laughs> um, going to be um, best to speak about it from a, ma- a male perspective. But I think it's, it's a bit of a stereotype, but generally speaking, females are uh, considered to be better at talking about their emotions than perhaps males. And, you know, in particular for men's mental health and and um, and that there, there is a, a big sort of, I suppose, space of work around talking about your feelings and it's okay. Um, you know, many blokes think that it's not manly to talk about their problems and they, they actually have to sort of um, have it all together. But, you know, as humans, we're not robots. We are mm. all people that have emotions and feelings and, um, you know, things are going to affect us just by the pure fact that, we're humans and and that's um that's part of being um a, a person I, I, with um a uh, males i've um i'm just speaking to my male friends um i've noticed that uh if there's a joint project that that we're working on that's when sort of things come up so if mm. you know like the idea of a men's shed you know if we're you know building something together then rather than just you know go up to a, a mate and say hey you know how are you feeling about X, Y, and Z? If you know we're planning or drilling or whatever, and and the conversation kind of comes up naturally rather than forced. I think that kind of joint project, and that's why I like the idea of a men's shed. You know, that was just such yeah. a great idea. I reckon. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, uh, EpiPen, you're pointing to me. <laughs> Your microphone's off, EpiPen. You need to see this. I, is I tech. think she was meaning me, Doctor Mal. <laughs> I was just going to say our um. Our discussion around sort of emotions, I suppose something as a clinical psychologist I find works quite well is that um, emotions aren't only negative, they're positive too. And if we don't have these negative ones, then we don't get the positive ones. So let's talk about positive and negative and neutral emotions. They're all awesome. Hmm. So true, so true. Um, We, so Katie, um, can I ask you to hang on the line? Would that be okay? Absolutely. That would be absolutely fantastic. Um, yes, you go on. Dr. Sorry. Mal, I, I should have just sort of mentioned you did talk in the question before on how people can get help, but I did just want to also throw in the lifeline number. I've got so, it in front um, of me, but you go uh, ahead. Awesome. You, you do it. You do it. You're the, you're the guest. <laughs> so 13 11 14 uh, for a 24-7 um, lifeline number. And, um, and you know, if, if you are struggling, please do reach out and ask for help and let people in your life know that, that you know what you're going through totally free one three one 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 four and there's also beyond blue too as a website which has got some fantastic resources as well those two those two wonderful resources really really good i had a look at the beyond blue website this morning in fact it's just fantastic and of course lifeline one three one 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 four this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. We've got a welcome to the show, Belinda Kerslake from the Butterfly Foundation, along with TJ. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show this morning. Um, Why don't we start with you, Belinda? Tell us a little bit about the Butterfly Foundation. Yeah, sure. So um, the Butterfly Foundation is the national charity for eating disorders and body image issues. Um, We, I guess the key service that we have is our national helpline where people who are experiencing an eating disorder or body image issue or think they may be um, their family, friends and also clinicians can contact the line um, for information, counselling, um, and referrals to practitioners screen for an understanding of eating disorders. And as, as we were saying, it's a national foundation, isn't it? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, which is terrific. Um, yeah. And you're the marketing manager. Tell, uh, is it the Butterfly Foundation or Butterfly? 
because I've heard it's different. Butterfly Foundation, um, but actually we recently, well, probably a year or so ago, um, we did some work looking at how we could, I guess, um, attract a greater range of people just being aware that often there's stereotypes about who experiences an eating disorder. Um, so part of what we looked at was, I guess, um, our website, our brand, and what was what were barriers or enablers to people contacting us. And as a result of that, we did cha- um, sort of refresh our brand, and that's where we've sort of got to butterfly.org.au. But the full name is Butterfly Foundation. I like the idea of a, butter- of a butterfly cocoon, like a, a safe place. Could I, yeah. could I come in and do marketing with you? No, you're shaking your head. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm always open to more help. <laughs> and, uh, good morning to, to TJ. How are you? Sorry, I've got you on mute now. You can, yep. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us, TJ. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your association with, uh, with the Butterfly Foundation. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is TJ. I'm based in Melbourne at the moment, um, and I had the incredible pleasure of being a part of uh, the Talking Helps campaign uh, with the Butterfly Foundation, um, which was really fantastic, I guess, as an opportunity to share my story of experiencing an eating disorder, um, as well as, I guess, just get the message out there that really anyone can experience um, an eating disorder uh, or concerned with their with their body image. Um, and I also got the chance to meet some incredible human beings from that as well. So, yeah, real wins all around, I would say. Yep, yep. Um, I was going to ask you one final question because I know Gemma's chomping at the bit to, to ask you guys questions, so I'll just be really quick. You write very beautifully, TJ, on intersectionality. Um, can, can you... I think I'm stealing Gemma's thunder a bit, but could you just tell us a bit about that and your experience with it? Yeah, for sure. Um, So for me, I guess this was also a kind of new um, exploration that I had only in recent years, I guess, after um, being quite um, a bit on my mental health journey. Um, But I kind of realised that there were so many things at play for me with my own mental health um, and also, you know, acknowledging that as a person of colour and as a male um, who is experiencing um, an eating disorder, sometimes it can be really difficult or challenging to, um, you know, either seek support, receive support. Um, And for me, it was really important to, I guess, get that kind of story out there and, 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 uh, I guess, feed into that narrative too because I think it's something that isn't commonly addressed or, um, I guess, spoken about, um, especially for, for young people who are from vast, vastly diverse backgrounds. Um, sometimes it's really, you know, important to hear someone that looks like them, that talks like them, that shares similar experiences, um, you know, to be able to see that um, either online or in writing. I know for me, if I had seen... I guess that kind of story when I was younger, I think, um, you know, I would have uh, sought support, um, you know, a lot sooner. Absolutely. So wonderful to have Belinda and TJ on the show. I just wanted to share some, some brief stats and then throw it straight back to TJ to share his story. So over 1 million Australians are experiencing an eating disorder and less than 25% ever seek support. Isn't that horrific? And and eating disorders are the most fatal of all mental health conditions. So we have an absolute um, an absolute issue here in Australia and worldwide. And I suppose, um, as TJ was inferring before, we have this kind of stereotype that eating disorders are only experienced by sort of young girls and women who are generally Caucasian. And I think it's wonderful to have TJ with us today showing as a person of colour and a male that you can experience an eating disorder. And I just wanted to ask TJ, what was your experience of seeking treatment like? Yeah, so it was actually really, I would say, tricky for me um, at the beginning. Um, so I guess my uh, the most obvious part of the story began when I was uh, transitioning between high school and university. And so there were a lot of differences in um, my social supports where, you know, I was leaving a lot of my friends back in high school. Um, and I guess just the, the day-to-day life of high school was usually quite structured, whereas in university, I kind of left to my own devices, which was um, really tricky to navigate, I have to say, not as smooth as I had hoped for and anticipated. Um, 
And I guess it was during that time as well that I had this preoccupation with the way that I looked and, you know, the things I was eating. And that kind of led me to um, restricting a lot of my uh, my food intake. And um, I guess that was noticed by my mom and my sister particularly. Um, and any time that they tried to, you know, initiate a conversation with me about it in a really thoughtful and respectful way, I really just shut down. I was like, I, this is not a conversation I want to have. Um, and I think upon reflection, there were a lot of different reasons for it. One of them being, um, as you know, coming from a Sri Lankan background, this is not a topic of conversation that's usually had. Um, I know at that point in my life, I don't think I'd really heard anyone, um, you know, even mention the words mental health or eating disorders, um, just like in, in general, let alone in, in my own sort of cultural community. Um, so I found it really difficult to, to talk about it with my, um, with my family. Um, and I found it really difficult as well, I guess, to put myself in that narrative because I kind of had um, thoughts around, you know, what was going on, but I didn't really know what words to give it because any time, you know, I did hear of eating disorders or body image concerns talked about in the media it was usually young women, um, and like you mentioned, um, young Caucasian women, and I'm neither of those things. Um, I was young at the time, so I was one of the three, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it was really difficult to, to really think, you know, is this something that I should be experiencing? Is it, is it okay for me to, to feel these things? And I guess my family took the hint and said, you know what, it's okay, you don't want to talk to us, maybe let's go to our GP. Um, and so we went to our family doctor, and that was a really affirming conversation for me uh, I think at the time I didn't really know that GPs could um, you know have play that vital role in mental health support uh, but now I do which is fantastic but um, you know that was the day that those words were really said out loud in relation to me which was eating disorder and anorexia um, and I think that brought out a lot of feelings for me I think one of them was um, confusion because again I was like me but but how do I place myself in that story um but it was also really validating for me too because I kind of knew what was going on and I knew that this was I guess the first step to um seeking um further support and from there I was uh referred on to a psychiatrist and you know lots of conversations lots of unpacking my past and experiences um so yeah I think in terms of seeking support that was a very long answer to um yes I did seek support I lent into I guess the support that was offered to me and um I'm really grateful for having that support available that's so wonderful to hear TJ that you had that really validating experience with your GP and then went on to uh, you know to thrive after that that is just you know, music to my ears as a psychologist in the eating disorder space. Um, I'm going to throw to Belinda now. So, um, Belinda, you've been spearheading this wonderful Talking Helps campaign at Butterfly, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. Thanks, Gemma. Um, Yeah, so I mentioned the research that we did a a while back, and it it was really um, some qualitative research, also talking to stakeholders, so other people working in mental health and people with lived experience, um, particularly people who uh, might be LGBTIQA+, or might come from different cultural backgrounds, or even, um, you know, might be experiencing binge eating disorder, which people often don't really think of when they're thinking about eating disorders. Um, So, yeah, we talked to all those people and I guess one of the things that came out of it was that people wanted to see stories from people like them. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where the campaign started. So as part of the campaign, obviously TJ is one of the people who tells their story. Um, We also have Quinn who is trans talking about their story and, you know, really similar kind of stuff like, I think there's a quote in there where they say, you know, I I identified as a butch lesbian and I just didn't see that when people were talking about um, eating disorders. Or um, also we have Sarah who's who's experienced binge eating disorder and also a male carer, Dominic. So, again, you know, I see in the helpline or hear that male carers or parents would call up and go, oh, I don't see, it's all about, you know, women and mothers, you know, like what about me as a mother or a partner or whatever? So, um, 
Yeah, so in the campaign we have people telling their stories that maybe don't fit the stereotype um, and it has been really, so we've had a lot of feedback that people have really appreciated that and a lot of people have identified. So, it's, you know, I really want to thank the people that have been involved because they've made the campaign um, what it is and we've also definitely had an increase of people reaching out to our helpline from um yeah, more people, I guess, from minorities um, in our society. So great. That's so wonderful to hear, Belinda. I was actually going to ask, what have you seen since the campaign started? And it sounds like you've been uh, seeing exactly what you wanted to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just, is anyone uh, wanting to ask a question? Sorry, just checking, uh, not missing anyone. All good. All righty. Um, Excellent. So I was actually just going to give our listeners a bit of a teaser and Belinda, you're across this. So I'm very lucky to be working with the Butterfly Foundation on a brand new initiative uh, called a chatbot or a conversational agent. And that's going to be sitting on Butterfly's website starting in November. So it's going to be supplementing the helpline um, so that people can chat to chat to this conversational agent while they're waiting for the helpline to get through to them, or they might just... Um, be wanting to ask questions of our chatbot, sort of more routine questions that can be answered. So I am super duper stoked that um, we're going to be having 24-7 coverage of eating disorder support through this um, initiative and it's going to be starting up in November. So Belinda and I have a lot of work to do ahead of us. But everybody watch this space because we want to have because um, we, as we were saying before, less than one in four people seeking support for eating disorders and maybe chatting with a chatbot is a bit easier than speaking to a person. So if you're feeling like, you know, I don't, I'm not quite ready to speak to a person, then hopefully from November onwards, we're good to go to help you. What's a, what's a, chat, yeah. what's a chatbot? A chatbot is like a computer program that can have human-like conversations. So you probably see it like when you're on a website and something pops up and says, can I help you? That that's, would be a chatbot. That's not a real person? That is not a oh, real no. person, Mel. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. Well, so I know I... you're telling them your life story and stuff like that, but I'm afraid it's a computer program. I'm so naive. <laughs> that, that sounds fascinating. So, well, Thank that's... you. I would love to have Belinda and TJ back after we've launched and we can have more of a chat as well because this is such an important topic. Yeah, yeah, certainly is. Hey, guys, so this is, I mean... Uh, a conversation that we could keep going for ages and ages because there's so much to unpack and so much to discuss. Just uh, very briefly, Belinda, um, if somebody needs help, where can they get it from? Yeah, sure. So if you go to butterfly.org.au, you can contact the helpline by phone on 1-800-EATING-HOPE. Um, plus we have web chat and also email and we're available from 8 till midnight, seven days a week. And that's Australian Eastern Standard Time. That is uh, fantastic. Uh, I am. Somebody is pointing to me. <laughs> a quick question. No, we don't. Oh, we, sorry, sorry, Epi, we don't have time. I know. Can we get I, the soul socks? Soul socks. Yes. No, I was going to mention that. Soul socks. The website. Website is just you type in soul socks into your search engine, and it'll come up with this absolutely amazing. Um, webpage. So thank you for reminding me, uh, EpiPen. We've got to say thank you, um, guys. It's just been such a great show and we should really, we should have our own channel talking 24 hours a day. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.